in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of life. Now, for those of you who are used to uh, filling in the blanks on the outline, you see that there are lots of blanks and really no outline. Over the holidays, we had to send these early, and so this went before the sermon was written. But we did update the app, so if you follow along the outline on your phone, usually you will have the outline. Otherwise, you'll have to follow along without blanks. But I'm taking a page out of Dr. Big's books. I'm going to number the points. There will be six. I couldn't limit it to three or four, so we have six. But we'll move through them quickly. That will hopefully make it easier for you who are trying to follow along. This text, though, raises several questions. Who is to be king? Who will be the king of the Jews is the issue that's being discussed here. Now, the Romans controlled that area in terms of political power and backed it up with military power. And they said, Herod is the king. Herod is the one in charge here. He is king of the Jews. But these, these Jewish folks kept wanting their freedom. And so even though they had had foreign rulers for a long time, every few years they would revolt. They would get organized. There would be a leader arise, and they would say, we will follow him. He maybe could be the next leader for us. And they would revolt. But, of course, the Romans always would come in and subdue the revolt and so as we read Matthew today, where these wise men come from another place, from the east, it says, and they're asking in verse 2, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? It makes Herod suspicious, and rightly so. These are people who revolt. They're the ones who will fight back. They may rebel. Maybe there is another they would rather have be the king, and he wants to know more about that. But who is king in the text 
is really a political question about who's going to be in control of the land and the people and the politics of the region. But it caused me to think of a more personal question. I wondered as I was reading this, who is king of my life? Who is king of my life? In this new year, who will rule in my life? And so I ask you, who is king of your life? What is the guiding force? What compels you to move into the future? What drives you or draws you? or encourages you what is in charge what helps you discern your values what is in charge in your heart what's shaping and forming you as you move into this new year what is most important to you in this new year it's so important to take assessment as we go through life and to look at our ultimate values or our core principles from time to time to make sure we are on track, to make sure we are focused on what's most important. And the context of this reading from Matthew, it has to do with that idea of king or ruler. I've been thinking about that a lot this week as I've read over this passage several times, making sure I'm focused and I'm in the right place in this new year, that I have my priorities straight and I'm committed to the things I say I'm committed to and I'm following through as I sense God leading me. I hope you've done some of that assessment as well. If not, I hope you'll do some in the next few days thinking about what's most important. One of the things I came to this week is I know I need to renew my spiritual practices. One of the things I have done for a long time is in my morning prayer time, I would journal a little bit. I would write just a few sentences, maybe a prayer, maybe a reflection, I would be praying for other people, thinking about my own life. Just write a few lines down. It helped me stay focused. It helped me be able to go and look back and see if I was making any progress. But you know what happened when I was thinking about it this week and opened my journal? The last entry date was months ago. I allowed myself to get so busy toward the end of the year with different activities and responsibilities that I became lax and negligent. And I lost that practice of writing in my journal so i'm going to renew that i started this week every day taking the time to journal a little bit during my personal prayer and devotional time the other thing i thought about is i need some more structure i feel like a, some more structure in my spiritual life would be good so i'm going to apply for the two-year academy for spiritual formation it's a two-year commitment in a program designed by our Upper Room Ministries, which is a devotional spiritual growth arm of the United Methodist Church. What they ask you to do is make this two-year commitment of study and spiritual practice. And then one week every quarter, you're to go on retreat. They bring seminary professors to speak in the mornings. Then you have silent time to reflect. You begin the day with worship, worship again at noon, worship again in the evening, observe silence all during the night until morning worship again. I think that would be good for me. And of course, when I look at my schedule, I'm already too busy. I think I don't have time for that. But I think perhaps God's nudging here is that if I will make time for that, it will force me to structure and order all my other priorities. I have to be really clear at what's most important this year. Or I won't be able to get everything done. I won't be able to cover all those responsibilities. But I sense God leading me in this direction to make that kind of commitment to put everything else in order. 
well, those are a couple of things I'm going to do, but what about you? How will you organize your life in this new year? How will you nurture your soul this year? What practices might you need to begin or some perhaps that you need to end? What things do you need to change? Well, in terms of spiritual life, our text today gives us six different insights, I think, different clues of what we might need to consider in terms of our own spiritual journey. Let me run through those quickly with you. The first one I noticed was this. Number one was that the spiritual journey is not a solo journey. The spiritual journey is not a solo journey. The text says there are wise men, that is in the plural, more than one. They were traveling as a group. And so many spiritual writers note that, that we do better in our Christian faith when we work as a group, when we have friends to support and guide us and help us in our spiritual pilgrimage. Do you have a group that you meet with that helps you stay focused on what's most important? Is there a group that you meet with that supports and encourages you, maybe guides you, helps you discern God's will in your life, helps you study Scripture and apply it to your own day-to-day living? These folks were traveling in a group. I think that's a key insight. But not only were they traveling in a group, once they get to the area, they know they are close. The text tells us that they begin to ask, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? They believe others can help them zero in on the place they're going and to find the person they're looking for. Groups help us do that. They help us stay focused. We do best as Christians when we have others to support us, to encourage us, and to help guide us. Number two, they seek with an attitude of humility. These wise men, some translations say kings come not expecting this baby to worship them they don't ask him for anything they don't say follow us they come with an attitude of humility they come bringing an attitude of reverence to their search we would do well to follow their lead i think to come with an attitude of humility to come with an attitude of i'm open To where you might lead me, God, I'm open to learning more. What do you want to do with me this year? Number three, there will be detours. There will be detours on your spiritual journey. There are detours and distractions as we go through life. For these particular wise men, it's Herod. Did you hear how that worked in verse 7? Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. But of course, at the end of the text, it says they didn't go back. Herod was acting as if he really wanted to worship this one. He was feigning goodwill, saying he was just interested. He wanted to go in the same attitude they were going. But old Herod didn't want to do that. He wanted to find this child because it was a rival, possible rival king. And he wanted to stop the threat. He was ready to kill to stop the threat. So there will be detours. There will be distractions for them. It's Herod. I don't know what it is for you, but I assure you we all have them. 
to expect them and not to be disillusioned when they come helps us on our spiritual journey. Number four, a spiritual journey takes time and patience. This whole motif of traveling from the east, of questioning others, of searching for the exact spot, all of those things help us understand that a spiritual search takes time. It takes patience. We have to work on it for a while. Matthew says in verse 11, on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. It takes some time to kneel down. We have to slow down our lives if we're going to kneel down and pay someone homage. I don't know about you, but I find my life being full of meetings and appointments and always something to plan for and work on and taking time to slow down, to kneel down is a lesson I need to heed. Maybe it's one for you as well. Number five comes in verse 10. Did you hear verse 10? When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. They were overwhelmed with joy. So number five is there will be times of great joy. Oh, there will be detours in your spiritual life, but there will also be times of great joy. Surely you've experienced those maybe in a time of worship when there's a beautiful anthem being sung or a prayer being prayed or you're singing a hymn. You feel that joy welling up within you. Just a sense of joy that you're glad to be here. Or maybe in a time of service when you were helping someone else and you could see that you were making a difference and you were feeling like God was using you to share Christ's love. You have that sense of joy just well up within you. That's what this is talking about. Or maybe you've experienced it over these holidays, over the Christmas holidays, or maybe New Year's. You got to spend time with friends or family. And you had that sense like I did in the midst of those celebrations. Thank you, God. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to be alive and to be with these people. And this is a wonderful celebration. And you have blessed me with it. Thank you, God. And it's just that sense of joy of being alive and being in the place that you find yourself at that point in life. Later in the Christian scriptures, Paul says that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That when your life is deeply connected to God, when you are connected and being led by God's Holy Spirit, your life will be marked by joy. If you'll experience the joy, that's what this text says. These wise men had this overwhelming sense of joy on their seeking journey that they were partaking in. Then this last one. Matthew says when they found the place and they found the person that they offered gifts. So number six, it is important to offer something. In our spiritual lives, it's important to be ready to offer something. The way Matthew writes it is after they knelt down and paid him homage, then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought gifts. That on this spiritual journey, they recognized they had gifts. And when they got to the place, they offered their gifts back to God in the presence of this child. We talk about that quite a bit in our communion liturgy that we do once a month here. 
we talk about that. You can listen for these words. I will read them to you in a few moments again in the midst of the liturgy. But it says we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us. We offer ourselves. Or you may have noticed a few months ago we added to the liturgy right there at the offertory and doxology the presentation of gifts. This presentation of gifts represents giving of ourselves to God. That's modeled in this story of having prepared a gift, being ready to give back to God. It shows where we think the worth is in life, what we think is most valuable. It shows that we want to invest in this relationship with God, that we're ready to bring our praise and thanksgiving and other gifts that we felt led to give back to God as a part of that relationship that is important to us. So that's an important insight, I think, is that we need to be ready to offer something. Where there's six of them there, they're all about seeking God, coming to a place where we experience God in our lives. I think they could maybe help us as guides on our spiritual journey. One we may need to pay attention to a little more than another, but all of them perhaps helpful. And then a few weeks ago, before we ever got to this text, I had read a story that I really liked, but it really didn't fit in the sermon or the next several sermons I was writing. I just set it aside because I thought, that's a story I would love to tell the people sometimes. It's a story that happened in 1962. It's a true story. I would have only been five years old. But as I read through it, I thought this story touches on all six of these insights. It really illustrates how these spiritual insights unfold in real life. See what you think. It's a story about a milkman. Now, if you were born 1970 or thereabouts or later, you may not know that used to men in uniforms came to your house with bottles of milk, just like you might have a newspaper delivered to your house or a package delivered to your house today. There were these fellows in uniforms that brought these glass bottles of fresh milk house to house. So this is a story about one of those guys, a milkman traveling house to house. The woman writing the story says she had a wonderful milkman. She said he always had a sunny and bright disposition. He was a happy fellow. It was great to see him coming. But then one day as he came up the sidewalk, he had nothing but gloom on his face. She could tell that something terrible must have happened to him. She asked him, what's wrong? He said, you're not going to believe this. But two of my customers this very week have disappeared. They have left their houses and they both owed me money. The first one left had a $10 bill. They owed me $10. I can live with that. But the other one, $79. They owed me $79. He said it was my mistake. She was a pretty young woman. She had six kids. She had another on the way. She was so nice. She kept telling me that her husband was looking for a second job, that she was going to have the money to pay me, so I kept providing the milk. But now she's gone. There's nobody living there. I'm stuck with the bill. She began to say, I'm so sorry. He just turned and walked away. She said the next time he came walking up the sidewalk, there was still gloom on his face. But this time when he started to speak, 
it's like he had been stewing about it and now he was even more angry instead of a pretty young woman with six children he was talking about this parcel of brats and this and that and just tearing them apart again she began to offer her condolences and he just turned and was ready to walk away she said it seemed like he was even worse that time than the first time she said she really began to worry about him that this lovable wonderful generous man that she had known was gone and here was this fellow now sad and sour and angry every time she saw him and she began to think what can i do to help what can i do to make a difference and she said as she was contemplating all of that she remembered a saying that her grandmother used to share that if somebody takes something from you if you will give it to them then you never feel robbed she thought maybe that could help him maybe if i shared that with him maybe if i suggested he give it rather than just having lost it it would help so she waited for him saw him coming the next day she began to share what her grandmother had said and said you know maybe you could just make the gift to the woman and the children you know heck it's almost christmas why don't you just consider it a christmas present he didn't smile he didn't think it was a good idea he said you know what i don't even give my wife a gift worth 79 dollars at christmas i'm not giving them that gift she said well you know the bible says that we were strangers and we're to take strangers in so maybe you could just consider that you took them in that you provided the milk for those children as a way of taking them in he said oh somebody got took all right but it wasn't them it was me i'm the one who was had on this deal he said you know the trouble with you is it's not your 79 dollars turned and walked away she decided maybe a lighter hearted approach would be better so the next time he came she didn't really mention it she just sort of smiled and chatted but then as he began to leave she said have you given her the milk yet he didn't smile he just kept going she said she tried that several more times just kind of a joke have you given them the milk yet she didn't think that she was making much progress until six days before christmas she said on the sixth day before christmas she saw him through her kitchen window coming up the walk and his smile was back there was a glint in his eye and he was all but running up the sidewalk to her house she came out to greet him to see what was going on he said i did it i did it i gave it to them as a christmas present i have given up on the 79 dollars it was lost anyway i've decided i will just give those children the milk as my christmas present to them she said that's great and she rejoiced with him and she could not believe the change in his disposition and she said i really do feel better you're so right once i gave it to them i felt so much better i am now ready for christmas she said he was in a great mood for the next several days and then there was a sunny morning in january his truck pulled up to the sidewalk he jumped out of the truck and she said he was all but running he was dashing up toward the house and jumped on the porch and said wait till you hear this wait till you hear this earlier this week i was running another route for one of my friends i was in a different part of town and a woman came running out of house calling my night calling my name waving money 
It was her. It was her, the woman, the $79 woman. She had found me. She ran up and said, I'm so sorry. My husband found another job. We found a cheaper apartment. In all the rush to move and make sure we got all the kids moved, I completely forgot to leave you a forwarding address. I never meant to leave you with the bill. I have the money now. And he said, it's already been paid. And she said, what? Already paid? Who paid it? He smiled and said, I did. He said she began to cry and just grabbed him and hugged him. He said, I'm not a crier, but I began to cry too, realizing that I had provided milk for those children every day. They didn't miss a day. I had helped her family. And the woman on the porch said, but you also got your money, right? And he said, heck no. I didn't take the money. I told you I gave it to them as a Christmas present. Amen. Thanks be to God.